This is the Fan of Fan podcast. I am Joe Skelton. And I'm Topless. And for all you granddubbers out there, this podcast is for you. Bit of a different introduction tonight. Yeah, as promised in the last episode, here he is, our newest co-host, Mr. Joe Skelton from Match Days, or Match Days, Joe, as I like to call them. <laughs> Hello, yes, great, uh, great to have you on, co-host in season three, so uh, I'm very, very excited to have you on. Season three is up and running tonight. We're delighted to be joined by former Ghoul, Winterton Rangers, Retford United, and the current manager of Club Thorn Colliery. It's Jimmy. How are you, mate? Yeah, good fellas. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you too, pal. Sorry that we spoiled your unbeaten run at Dinnington the other week. That's all right. That's Just a... <laughs> keep away, keep away for the second half of the season. Yeah. Yeah, mate. We'll watch Retford instead. Eh? That'll help. You. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, lots to get through. I mean, we'll we'll look, we'll go, we'll go through your your uh, your playing career as well. We'll go through managers and we'll talk a lot all things with Thorn as well a little bit later on. But um, we want to kind of start really with kind of your background into football. So, who did you support as a kid, and uh, what got you into football? Oh, do you know it's a strange one who I support. So, an, an Arsenal fan. You know, a Yorkshire Arsenal fan. And, and I think the story is my dad, because that's all I've ever known, you know, brought up as that. And the story my dad tells me was, uh, I think, the 1971 Cup final. My dad had a bet on them with someone at school, some of his friends, and they won, and that was it. So he then became an Arsenal fan. And, yeah, from the moment I uh, stepped foot onto this place, and that's all I've ever known. So that was my team um, growing up. And then playing probably had a similar, um, you know, sort of junior few years to most people, Um and actually, in the first time when I stepped into senior football at 17, that was um, at, at Thorn Colliery as well. So there's been a nice symmetry there to, to my first steps into management, being at the same place. Um, from there, then went on to uh, Goole AFC, who at the time were in the uh, Unibond, as it was, Northern Premier League Division 1. And I'd, I had three seasons there, um, 18 months out with an ankle injury, which was pretty frustrating at 21 years old. Um, so that was a, you know, an operation. And then, and then back going when I did at Winterton, Three years at Winterton and then two years at Retford, which you know both teams were in the North East Counties Premier at the time. And then unfortunately for me, um, Father Time sort of knocked on the door a little bit early in 26. My uh, my knees told me it was time to stop running around on muddy pitches on a Saturday afternoon. So uh, yeah, that that was me done a little bit earlier than I'd have liked. But I had a sort of a good a good nine ten years at it anyway. Oh, injuries, eh? Awful, awful things. So many stories of players. It's horrible when it happens to them. Yeah, well, so fortunately, someone close. like me, you know, I, it wasn't that, you know, f- football wasn't losing a, an artistic, technical um, player, you know, so there's plenty more like me out there still now doing the part. But yeah, so it's finished a bit early and then actually had a few years out of the game. Um, I guess when you've been on that sort of non-league cycle, which is pretty full on, you know, 1st of July through till 30th of April every year, you only sort of get a couple of months respite from it. And doing that for nine, 10 years, a couple of years out was... Um, you know, relatively welcome, but then it doesn't take long for that bug to come back and, you know, that itch to start appearing again. And, and then here I am now. Yeah, definitely. It's great. I mean, so I mean, well, as you know, we're, we're non-league. Certainly, over the last couple of years, I think it's certainly grown in stature as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on and get your opinion on it. And But like you, you mentioned Arsenal there, and certainly, like I say, in the 70s, Arsenal were a good side then and certainly had some, you know, had some great runs, of course, the FA Cup run as well. Uh, but who was your kind of heroes when you were a kid? Well, I was, yeah, I, I was pretty blessed. And I guess that's why I'm so despondent now with where Arsenal are at, you know, because I was spoiled through my main early years as a fan. It was the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, the 
the back end of the Tony Adams era into the Thierry Henry era. So those kind of players for me, you know, your Patrick Vieira types, me ended up being a sort of central midfielder myself, that kind of player. Um, and just loved watching that team because I thought it was a mix of great technical football players who could, you know, not just wow an audience, but then could also mix it physically. You know, it was quite a big team of people, especially the Arsenal Invincibles team. You know, it was a strong team, a physical team. So they had all the sort of weapons, you know, the tools that you'd need to go through a season the way that they did. So I think, yeah, that side had everything that me, that had sort of the best of the English game, um, but also had the technical attributes um, to go with it. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think we'll, I think, you know, there's an arguable case that, um, you know, that invincible team could be possibly one of the best teams in in Premier League history. Um, I think there's a there's a big case for that. But not European history, maybe. I mean, it takes no, some no, doing, it was... doesn't it? Really, especially in the English game. But yeah. that team, they, they should have won the Champions League, shouldn't they? Really, I think you know. Yeah, the, you know, yeah, the, the the famous year where um, you know they sort of slipped up at home to Chelsea, and then uh, you know I think it was the year that Mourinho actually went with Porto and made his name for himself as well. Um, yeah. yeah, that 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 was the time when yeah, that's the one that I think. In fact, I actually went to him when we got to the final, and um, we played Barcelona in Paris, and I went across to Paris for the for the couple of days, um, and the day itself was one of the best days of my life until uh, Henrik Larsson, I think it was, had other ideas, and then it was um, a pretty quiet trip home, you know, on, on the next morning on the ferry. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's my background in who I support. You're actually in the ground. You went. You got a ticket. No, you know, some this group I was with did have a ticket. So one, we had some Arsenal season ticket holders who we went out there with, um, and we were, you know, we were hoping we might get one because um, you just never know on those away days if you can land on one if you're willing to pay the price. Um, but yeah, we, we we were unlucky not to. So we spent a lot of time around the stadium. Then when when the ticket holders went in, we just found the nearest Irish bar and had a real good tear up in there for a few hours. Irish bars are never disappoint, do they? Yeah. So so. Let's touch on that then. So, what, what was it like then during the day? What was the atmosphere like in the city? Like the the big Europeans' biggest club prize. Here it is. What's it like during the daytime? Just just unbelievable, and, and especially I think not having it in this country as well. You know, because usually if it was at Wembley, I mean, I went I actually had tickets this year for the Euro Euros final. Um, I was actually in the ground for that one, but I think the yeah, it was a slightly different atmosphere. Um, and actually being you know going going on you know overseas for the game even though it's only sort of across the water um it was great the 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 public in Paris was so welcome it was all set up with the fan zones and everything like that um and then just that feeling as you sort of you'll stagger down from one street to another and you'll you'll see one group of Arsenal fans and you'll just catch another Arsenal shirt over there and you know you've got maybe 10, 15, 20,000 of you and you feel like brothers and sisters that every time you bump into an Arsenal fan you feel like you've known them all your life um yeah, great experience, and you know that saying. Shame we didn't quite get the result, which would have uh, topped it off. But still, good memories from the whole day. Oh, that sounds fantastic! I can remember in World Cup 2006, I was in Mallorca, and England just just beating Ecuador, and everybody, like you say about the brothers and sisters thing. I can remember getting a horse carriage on the way back to the hotel, and we saw these guys, family with England shirts, and I'm going, hey! <laughs> <laughs> but, but it does be like that. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah, <laughs> it's a lovely feeling. But yeah. um, I, I can remember that game really well. I remember the referee not being the best. Um, he sent off Jens Lehmann, didn't he, for that? Uh, did he was it Eto'o that he, he uh, took yeah, that? Yeah, Eto'o was played through. Lehmann's brought him down. Now, the letter of law is a red card. But Ludovic Julie just put it in the back of the net. 
And I can remember Andy Gray saying, did, yeah. what the hell, get on with the game. You know, I can remember it. Like, just, I, I, honestly, I can remember these things. <laughs> and he's right. Why don't you just play the advantage? And well, obviously, we'll never know what would have happened. Yeah, but, yeah, I think that's you still way that would would, would Arsenal have been better. You know, would the keeper just been better almost conceding the goal? You go one nil down, but you've got eleven players on the pitch as opposed to down down to ten for that long against sort of Barcelona. We're really starting to come to you know come to the fore through that period. Um, but like you said, we'll never know, will we? And two one in the history books to Barcelona is what it will remain. Because you took the league as well, because Sol Campbell scored the header. Sol Campbell, yeah, yeah, big Sol scored. I think from an ornery free kick, and then on, yeah. you know, Henri had a couple of chances as well to even maybe get another one. But um, you could sort of feel it coming, and I think you know, when they brought Henrik Larsson, and I remember that sort of felt the turning point. And the pressure was building and building, and um, yeah, didn't quite hold out. Yeah, oh yeah. man, the one, see, one trophy that Wenger deserved, yeah, I think, as well. But... We see Arsenal now, and you see how far they've kind of fallen. And you see, like, I think it's weird you look at things what's happening with Bamiang and stuff like that, and certainly the recruitment side of it, they probably, probably should be a bit better, but I think, I mean, we'll get your opinion as well with Mikel Teta. Is, is he the right man to take Arsenal forward? I think he's had some really big calls to make recently, uh, sort of around discipline and the culture he wants to try and embed and create at that club. Um, could have backfired and didn't. So I think he's come out well from that period. I mean, I, I've said this when I've been asked even about you know our club itself, you know, at Thorn, and you just, I guess, as a anyone at a club, whatever role you're in at the club, and you're even just spectator, supporter, you just want a sense of hope that there's going to be improvement and progression from week to week, from year to year. Um, and I think the feeling at Arsenal for probably 15 years now has been one of steady decline. Um, it's been, you know, the writing's been on the wall and it's, that's how it's panned out. So I think that's been why Arsenal fans sort of are, have the desperate sense they have, they have at the moment. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think full respect to Arteta as a, quite a, a young manager and seriously under pressure with the results this season to make a big call of leaving out a club captain and, you know, you sort of, who was the, the talisman of the team and then the run the team went on, you know, it, panned out to be the, the right decision. So credit to him for that. And look, I'd, I'd love to see it go well for the team, of course, I would over the rest of the season. Yeah, I think Arsenal will get back there one day, definitely. They'll probably won't have as good a side as Armory, Vieira, Burkamp. No. But I think they'll have every opportunity to get back into the Champions League, definitely, probably in the next few years. Yeah, there's a few clubs out there in the mix. So um, we'll see. it be interesting yeah. last few games. Definitely. I mean... I think as well, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll talk about non-league as well. I think that's enough Premier League, but I think we'll talk about non-league and certainly you mentioned so you started your career at Thorne. But um, how did you actually get into non-league football then? What a player or a manager? Well, playing and then going into management. So playing was probably one of I'd played juniors, you know, and, and sometimes in you know bits in academies and then uh, you know, sort of local juniors and then yeah, I'd always I guess when I got to 16, I started to get my eye on wanting to step into senior football. Um, and you know what? It's probably what we're trying to do now is, is we want young players in this area of seeing right in front of their eyes the pathway through. And a lot of clubs talk about a pathway and it sounds quite nice to say it, doesn't it? But that's what we're, we're really serious about. And going back to my experience, I actually, I was pretty lucky. You know, my dad was supportive at the time and it, you know, it, it helped me out in any way possible. And he just went down, I think, to one of the pre-season sessions of the Thorn team approached the manager and said, my young lad who plays in the area would like to come down and start getting involved in, you know, senior Saturday football. And, and then they took me down. So that's the way I went in. What we'd like now is for players in the local clubs, junior clubs in the areas to sort of not have to come knocking on our door, 
but just to see the pathway there and players in the year above, two years above, coming through and then they sort of know that's their natural progression if that's what they'd like to do. Um, so we're looking to sort of embed that and not rely on, you know, individuals, parents, whoever it might be to try and, you know, sort of have to make that step for them. That's how I got in on the playing side. And obviously I've mentioned the clubs that I went through um, and played most of my time at step four and five for the years. And then I guess managing, like I sort of touched on, it was nice to have a few years out, picked up the golf clubs like most, you know, ex-non-league, semi-professional, professional footballers do. And then just wanted to get back involved in it because nothing quite gives you the same, the same buzz that, you know, three points on a Saturday do. So I um, didn't rush particularly, but it was, you know, when I saw an opportunity and, and spoke to the club itself, you know, just to get back involved, um, it seemed like a really good fit. And I think the fact that it is my local town does mean a little bit more. Um, it's a little bit more special being in the community on a daily basis. Um, and then, yes, yeah, since then, obviously, we've had the sort of Club Thorn structure come into place, which has been quite an exciting time for everyone. Um, very, very early in the whole process of that still. So we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, it's, um, you know, up to this point, it's been good. It's been challenging. Um, but ultimately, we're all sort of pretty determined to, to make a success of it. So, I mean, for you, I mean, we touched on there, you know, you want to bring the local lads through and certainly how you did that when, when you were playing. Is that kind of your sort of philosophy that you've taken from kind of your playing days and you've cut, you kind of implemented into your managing style? Yeah, well, I think it's just something that it's where it should be a first port of call. So in our first team at the moment, um, we've got, you know, certainly three or four lads who live a stone's throw. They can probably see the ground, you know, when they open the curtains in the morning. Um, and, you know, we don't we don't entirely tie ourselves that, say they have to be from a certain radius. You know, of course we don't. But I think it's where you should look to try and do, you know, football clubs and, and sports clubs, rugby, cricket, whatever it might be. Um, do you know, that they're, they're really prominent in their communities. And for a lot of people, they get to a Saturday afternoon or whatever it might be on a Sunday. And, you know, that's what people want to do, whether it's participating, watching, volunteering. They play a big role in the community. And I think that's what we should try and do. You know, as much as we possibly can on the playing side, we'll give people opportunities. We'll try and open our doors up to them. Um, and yes, yeah, so far, you know, it's paid dividends. We've got some great lads here. We've certainly enjoyed watching them with Jake uh, watching for oh, this season. Definitely. And I always think that's massive for a club to have players that are actually from the local area because it means a lot to them as well. They, they know what it means to play for the club, be free from the area, I've always found. Yeah, definitely. You know? And we've, one of the big, you know, one of the first steps of the club form structure has been to merge with the local junior team. Um, so now we, we do have from the under sixes, under sevens, right through to the first team, um, we do have that pathway, as I've already mentioned. And, so, you know, so some of these lads I'm talking about in our first team currently, they've played for the junior team that we've now merged with, you know, through their years. And of course, it'd be great for year after year to, you know, see players who started at the club at maybe six, seven years old be well-established first-team players. And you know what? It'd be nice to see them as well just go on then. So they might go and have good careers, you know, whether it's, you know, top-end Northern Premier Conference North or be fantastic if some actually moved into professional game as well. You know, if we can give them that opportunity to, as a springboard, to go on to great careers, then fantastic. I think that's another tick in the box of what, we've, what we'd achieve. Yeah, that's huge. Imagine having a player in the first men's team who's been there since under sevens. <laughs> be a lovely story wouldn't it well it would wouldn't it yeah you know and, it, and I've seen it other clubs it has happened it does happen yeah. Um, so yeah yeah, come back to me in you know, 10-12 years time if I'm still around and uh, <laughs> I'll give you an answer to that if we managed it 
Hey, do you remember me, man? Do you remember me, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when I scored that goal on the right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's a few that I've certainly as well, you know, with Van, Van Fulton West that plays, you know, plays for you. And I think he's, I think he's a tremendous talent. And I think he'll go, yeah. I think, I think he's one of those players I think will go on and uh, can play higher. And I think as a lot of the, some of your players, I think will go on and could play at step six, maybe even step five, certainly with Thorn. I think the way that the idea has come about, certainly, well, me and Jacob certainly enjoyed watching you. And we enjoyed, you know, coming down to, to the phone back in July and watching that preseason game against Glass Houghton. Um, yeah. Certainly, <laughs> even then, I think there's been opportunities. I think for for Thorne to go forward. Um, certainly this season going forward. Um, but for you, I think is is there? Yeah, you know, with so many teams in that in that league, I think there's at least four, five teams in that in that Central Midlands league that could potentially go up. What has it been? Uh, has it been not as straightforward as what you might have thought this season? Well, it's worked out pretty much how I thought, and that it's so competitive, and we never thought it'd be straightforward. Um, you just have to look actually now. Now the list of applications for promotion has been sort of published on the you know that was December thirty first deadline, and now that's out there, and you can actually see if you look at the other steps. You know, well, I know they're called regional feeder leagues now, but if you look at the other step seven leagues around the area, so you've got the Humber Premier League, you've got the Sheffield County Senior League, you've got the Lincolnshire League. And if you look at those and the number of teams that have applied for promotion, you're probably looking at one or two in each division. Um, from the Central Midlands, you've got six. So that probably tells you straight away that you've got a lot more teams in our division as opposed to you know, other, other, other leagues at our level. Um, a lot more teams in our division with that ambition and that desire to try and get into step six football. So you know, by itself, that would tell you it's going to be difficult um, and you're going to face a lot of competition to get that probably, you know, possibly one spot you know, that's all I think everyone's on working on the base. If you've got one spot to go up. So there's a lot of people who want it. Um, we want it just like they do. And, you know, that's been, um, that's, you know, what we try and work hard towards. But yeah, of course, we, we never expect it to anything, you know, to be straightforward at all. We know how, how good the teams are. There's a lot of really well-established teams. In fact, you know, a lot of these sides I'm referring to, they've already been in the northeast counties. You know, maybe even in the Premier, you look at some of the clubs we talked about earlier, they played even higher. So, we're, we're sort of playing a bit of catch-up on that, you know, not just as a team on the field, but actually as a club off the field. We're uh, we're playing a bit of catch-up, but, we, you know, we're, we're moving as fast as we can. You beat me to it there. I was just about to mention some of the teams that are actually down there as well have been higher yeah. than the North Counties as well. And obviously from a grounds perspective, I think Thorne's got a perf perfect enough ground to be in the North and Counties. So I don't think grounds are a problem. It's just earning the right to be there isn't it really as well yeah Brown's been a big focus for us I know one of, one of the former chairmen that I used to play under he always said invest in the ground invest in the facilities um, you know that's something we've been mindful of so we, you know like I said it's been a real balance from what we're trying to do on the field and what we're trying to do off it so if you came a couple of years you know maybe three years back to the club you know we've now got proper dugouts built on the far side of the pitch um, we're trying try to build up a number of sponsorship boards around the side of the pitch we've got an extra side of hard standing the turnstiles now in we've just moved a toilet block onto the um, onto the, within the perimeter of the ground itself and look these are little things that you don't notice you know as you go around clubs really and I guess I as a player I never you know certainly took for granted never took any notice of but now you're on the other side of it and you're trying to develop and build a, a club um, we, we know with the people we've got here at the moment then yeah they're sort of they're quite big steps actually so we're getting there a little bit at a time the ground is you know it, it, yeah, it's heading in the right direction 
Yeah. Do you feel that, um, so that you, you touched on those leagues then and you, you saw the Central Midlands League, do you feel that that's probably the, have all those kind of maybe regional leagues, that three leagues around in the local area, do you think that it's probably the more stronger league than maybe like the Lincolnshire and the Humber, that Humber side league? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know because obviously you know you'd have to go and play in each one to to get you know do a full season each one to get an idea of it. But certainly, I think if you look at the in pre-season, if you look at the results, a lot of the teams have, and I know it's only pre-season, so you get some strange results anyway. But if you just generally look at the wider pattern of it, a lot of the teams in this division, certainly a lot of those teams who've applied for promotion as such, you know, when they've played against step six or even step five teams, you know, they've done well. They've either beaten them or had very close games, um, and that sort of probably demonstrates the strength to it. Um, so I wouldn't like to sort of just, you know, say that, oh, yeah, it's the strongest one. Um, but, but I'd imagine it'll be up there, you know, it, it'd be as, as competitive. And then sort of, the, as, you know, the, the depth to it as well. So it's not just one or two teams who are really firing on all cylinders. You know, like I say, you're looking at probably five, six, seven teams who could compete in the northeast counties. Um, and then to be honest, you know, this year I've, I've been in the year, you know, in, in the league now, what, three seasons? And, and, and even other sides in there, do you know, it, other teams might look at this and think this comment, you know, is, it really is competitive. You know, even recently with some of the games, every single game you've got to work so hard for, for three points, every single game. And we do not take one for granted. And if there was any danger of that at the start of the season, I think within the first five, six games, we quickly realised that wasn't going to be the case. Um, and, and, and all the teams, all the teams can hold their own, the competitive and yeah, you know, you've got 90 minutes where you're going to have to give absolutely everything if you want to achieve, you know, ultimately what you do by five o'clock. 100%. I can't, yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more with that. I think certainly I've, I've seen a lot of the teams in that Central Midlands League and, and Jake, you, you're the same as well. I think there's been so many good teams. Like we we saw Clay Cross, didn't we, uh, a couple yeah. of weeks ago and they they looked a, a very strong outfit there. Um We've seen, like, I remember, well, I went to your Harworth game back in September and that was a, an excellent game of football, you know, Harworth, a, you know, a good side. And I think at 2-0, I remember I said it in my video, I said, you know, at 2-0, you know, you're you, you cruising and that goal just sparked a comeback for them. And then yeah. I just felt that, that, you know, that you just had that little bit of extra quality to actually win the game. So I think... Sometimes all great teams like that just that have that little bit of extra, don't they? Just to get over the line and get that turn a, a draw into a win or a loss into a draw, don't they? Well, yeah. Look, I think it's more. It's not something that's necessarily inherent. It's something you have got to work towards and strive towards. And when you're training on a Wednesday night, you know that's what you're trying to do. Give yourself that extra, those small margins, extra few percentages. You go into the Saturday to get yourselves as prepared and as ready as possible. Um, yeah, that look the Harworth game. It's you know you mentioned that we've actually got them this weekend again, so we know that's going to be a very very difficult game. Um, I hope it's not as dramatic as that one. I'm sure as a neutral, you absolutely loved it. Great, great footage to show on, you know, on your streams and things. But um, as a manager, that yeah, really went through the ringer that night. Um, so yeah, it'll probably be another good one on Saturday. We always seem to have good games with Harworth. They're good to, again when I talk about well-established and well-run clubs. They're certainly one of them. You know, really well-set up club. Some good people there. So yeah, that'll be a good one this weekend. You need to visit that, Jay, Jay don't you, Harworth? I do, mate. Yeah. Obviously, I think they'll be at home this time. You were yeah. at the away game, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'll definitely keep me out for that ground, definitely. But uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be another tricky one. But then again, they all are, aren't they? There's no walkovers. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, speaking of grounds for you as a as a player, there, James. Um, 
what what's kind of like the best ground that you visited as a player and also as well as a manager certainly when you when when you've been into that coaching side Joe, as a, this is not a competitive match, but probably 11 years old, I, I was lucky to go and play on Highbury, do you know, the former Arsenal ground. Um, yeah. yeah, I managed to get down. In fact, it was the day after Arsenal won the league title at home, I think in 98, the famous Tony Adams volley. And we went down there on the, on the, on the Monday. So the street was just covered still in beer cans and bottles and everything. Um, and and, and I, yeah, I was 11 or something like that. Um, and actually had the day playing on the Highbury pitch. So that would that be certainly the most memorable um, in terms of competitive, you know, playing senior football, a, a one that stands in my memory is my, my senior debut for Goal. So I'd made the jump from Thorn in you know the league they're in now up to um, up to yeah, Northern Premier Division One, um, and we actually played Fleetwood. Um, it, it, you look obviously where Fleet, Fleetwood are now, and at the time they were just early in their journey of sort of getting getting the wheels rolling. Um, and we played there and I played right back and we won 1-0. We got absolutely battered, but, but we somehow won 1-0. So, you know, that one sort of stick in the memory when a few years later, look at Fleetwood now, uh, certainly a well-embedded football league team. And that was my league debut, just managing to cling on to a, a gritty 1-0 win away there, which is also called Highbury, the ground was as well. What did the ground look like back then? I mean, yeah, it looks really nice. Absolutely now. nothing like it does now. Yeah, it was a proper non <laughs> proper non league round at the time. You know, um, I guess like most of them. So yeah, nothing like it does now. And they've they've gone so far in a short time. Wow, Fleetwood Town, it's incredible. Wow, yeah. People think people tend to because everyone you know could look at the Jamie Vardy. They played for Fleetwood, and of course he had a big move to Leicester after that. And I think the guy. I remember, I think the guy who. Owns Fleetwood. I think he won forty-five million on the on the Euro Millions, and that's how he got all. That's how he built nice. that big stand. Yeah, yeah, re, re, yeah. Good club, and you look at what they've done. I mean, so many promotions, and obviously, if you've got a few quid, it, it does possibly help. But it's not as simple as that. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot more work and effort and skill actually goes into it as well. So, full credit to them what they've achieved. Yeah, I think there's. I think I think what you find as well with a lot of the like sort of non-league teams who get a lot of the money. Look at Billy Ricky, for example, who tried to throw tons of money at a club and it doesn't work out. I think you're right. I think you've got to invest in the right way. And like you say, you mentioned it before about, you know, you've got to get the infrastructure right and then, you know, build a team there. Because one thing you can do then, you can track better players by the infrastructure and say, look, this is what you'll be playing on. This is what this is how we run the club. I think as long as you do those basics, I think you'll attract you know, better players to the club, I think. Yeah, and there's been some, you know, sort of high-profile examples recently in non-league um, where teams have have been successful on the pitch and they've they've moved fast up through the leagues, but they're probably the probably the the infrastructure and size around it hasn't kept pace with that. Um, and then you get the imbalance. You know, you don't have you don't have that supporter base that underneath it, and yeah, sort of the the success on the pitch can outgrow and, and outrun um, the growth off of the pitch. So you need to get, certainly both of them need to come hand in hand. And that's what we're trying to do down here. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, as well, from a kind of, again, from a player's perspective and also from a coaching perspective, what was kind of the most difficult ground that you visited? Um, what, what, which, which kind of ground did you like kind of least likely to play at? Um, look, do you know a lot of long league grounds, and I think this is the attraction and appeal of a lot of ground hoppers is that they 
they're not the most aesthetically pleasing things, are they? Do you know, they, they don't look fantastic. And ours is no exception to that. Parts of it maybe look nice. We've got a lovely shiny roof now on the stand, you know, stand that's nearly 100 years old. Um, but yeah, they, they take a lot of upkeep and a lot of TLC, these non-league grounds. So I think there's probably a fair few that you, you don't turn up at um, necessarily, you know, licking your lips. But one that sticks again mem- in the memory, the first one when I was involved with, Thorn on the management coaching side and it was in the county cup the west the west riding county cup so we got on the minibus and we don't often travel on minibuses to away games but we did for this one it was somewhere over in you know huddersfield halifax way and we put the postcode in and the postcode took us to a pub well so i'm thinking well this is wrong it's obviously not we're not playing at a pub so we get out and the landlord says oh you get changed downstairs lads and straight away i'm thinking oh no what's going off we're getting changed in a pub do you know i'm not <laughs> this, i'm not used to this it's this is not like that. So anyway, the lads get changed. Then you're back on the bus to travel five miles to the ground, it to the pitch itself. We get there. It's so it's waterlogged. I mean, they're just like corner flags are just flooded. And the ref's like, the ref's like, you know, we can we can postpone it, lads, and come back next week if you want. I said, we're not coming back next week. Right? If, if the players need to wear armbands, we're getting this game played today. Um, so we lost 4-2 back on the bus and we'd had the Scarborough warning like you do not get this minibus dirty lads this needs to be spotless so the players are all sat in the seats with the shorts around their ankles just so we don't get the seats dirty oh, no. and I'm thinking um, have I done the right thing here do you know should, should I be should I be still on a golf course somewhere right now um, but yeah I wouldn't want too many more like that and I, and I think if that's sort of the base level of, of where we started at then we're, we're coming a long way <laughs> Oh man, that is that is non-league in a nutshell, isn't it? I think sometimes it really is. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a proper non-league experience. <laughs> where, where where was that ground then? So, what does feel like? Yeah, somewhere where I mean, look, the team the team were good, and the team had some players in there who who had played previously when I was you know still playing myself in North East Counties Premier. So, you know, I think some play, I think one of the lads who played had even won the North East Counties Premier. So the team were good. Um, yeah. I can't remember the name of them, and it, yeah, it was it was like Halifax Huddersfield way on. Um, and hopefully we don't ever draw them again in the West Riding County Cup away from home. Did the ground ever stand or was the field waterlogged? No, no stand, no stand. Um, no. There were two pitches side by side. You had to put the nets up yourself. And then we actually, we got a telling off. So we, we warmed up on the pitch next to ours because I'm thinking, well, it's nearly waterlogged ours. So we'll go on the one next door. And then there was another game happening on that shortly after. So when the team turned up, they kicked up a fuss as well that we'd been warming up on their pitch. It was just all, it was a messy afternoon here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear me. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's experience like that. You just, you just, you can't buy that. That's just things like that. You can't, you're not going to get someone like Ronaldo or Messi going down to, as well, the way you described it, like a Sunday league pitch when you have to put the nets up yourself. <laughs> and look, I mean, just there's no airs and graces about me. I don't mind. I think a big part of non-league is which team can adapt to those kind of environments and conditions, you know. So whilst the day itself, you wouldn't want to be doing every single week, you know. So that's on that day to the players, I'm saying, well, look, you're here to play 90 minutes of football. Um, you know, you need to you need to get the mentality right and... If you don't kind of fancy those kind of conditions, then you know maybe just stick to five aside on on a Thursday night with your mates. Um, it's all part and parcel of of what you go through in a season, especially these you know heavy winter seasons that we're in the middle of now. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think from a perspective as well, I think you know it, it kind of when you look back on those days, especially when you know with Thorn, if you you know if you'd go up and you know go well and do do well in Northern Counties, you look back on those days and go. You know what? This is where, you know, this is where the journey begins, and 
you know, look at look how far we've gone now, and yeah, you know, we're we're being really competitive at step five, step six, and yeah, you know, we're we're doing really well. So I think when you look back on those days, I think it's a journey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, and there's a few more probably stories as well, and things that have gone wrong over the last even short time I've been here. But um, yeah, it'd be nice to get to that point. That's a you know a heck of a long way to go yet, and uh, you know a lot of hard work between now and then. But yeah, it'd be nice, I suppose, at some point in the future. Um, to look back on some of those and, and see us in a different place. Absolutely. You fit in really well in the Northern Counties, I do, honestly. Be a fitting club to be there, definitely. Okay. Well, look, there's a few, you know, there's, there's a few I think would be, yeah. be fitting of that kind of compliment as well. Um, we, we try, yeah. one of the things we've set out to do, no matter whatever league we're competing in, is just to run the club as professional as possible. So I think the players here, I know you've sort of mentioned, Joe, about how they, they maybe could, could go play at other clubs, but I don't think they'd get a different experience. I don't think they'd get a better experience in terms of the organisation, the support they get, the training they get, the prep, you know, preparation for games, um, you know, whether we were, you know, step four, seven or a or hundred, um, we, we'd be, you know, set on running the club, running the team, the playing side and off the field as professionally as possible. And we set the bar pretty high on that. Um, so, yeah, um, there'll be a few teams, I'm sure, similar as well, who, who, you know, feel the same about the way they do things. And that's what makes it, you know, so competitive. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at like when you look at teams like Rosington and Anfield who are you know step you know a step above and when you look at them and think could you know could we do you, you look at them and think you know can we compete against them one day certainly maybe in the next year or two yeah well I mean it's nice to see teams in the Doncaster area doing well you know Rosington um, doing exceptionally well this season actually saw their game as I think you guys did against Worksop in the cup a couple of weeks ago Do you know you've got over 500 people coming down on a Tuesday night to watch to watch a game at Rosington Main which is fantastic and Armthorpe I've seen them a couple of times this season um, they're getting some good results you know they've got a pretty strong position in, in the league and, and you know still with ambitions to like quite a few teams in there to nick on to the back end of those playoff positions so it's good to see the Doncaster teams doing well um, yeah we look at those and, and we'd absolutely love to be, you know, pushing, you know, chasing on their coattails. Um, but we know, you know, we know we've got a lot to do, as I keep saying, um, you know, to, to earn the right to be in, in that position. Um, but yeah, I think Doncaster football is probably, you know, as strong as a position as it as it has been for, you know, some time in recent years. Absolutely. It's good yeah. to see that. Me being a Donny lad and being, you know, I, I just love to see, you know, I say, you know, uh, Really got tremendous, you know. Ever since I went down to film a couple of years ago, and I'd seen your game against against Phoenix, and I've sort of got big respect for Phil. And you know, the, I'm always you know keeping one eye on your results, and and you know keeping one eye on every you know all the teams around Doncaster and how they're doing, and it's good to see that. But well, we'll talk. Yeah, you know, we'll touch on about um, to the fans as well, and sort of what you know as a player and also as a manager as well. What's kind of like your like the best fans, and maybe even like maybe. I wouldn't say most hostile, but like, what was kind of like maybe the worst fans to play against and even sort of manage against as well? Um, so the the goal fans are fantastic in that the you don't you don't need to be sort of a some sort of psychologist to be able to understand how they're feeling about the performances of the team. If you're doing well, they will cheer you off the pitch. They'll gather around that little tunnel they have and they'll be banging on the cages, and it's amazing you're not playing well and you'll very quickly know that from the stand, how they're feeling. Um, so, but I like those kind of environments. Um, in fact, we had a, we played um, FC United of Manchester. I can't remember what cup it was now when I was at goal and that was, and they just sort of got up and running. Um, 
and then a lot of the because Goal had a following maybe a couple of hundred at the time anyway. Um, but FC United brought best part of you know a thousand over, I think, um, travelled across the M62 for that game, and then a lot of local Leeds fans decided that they were going to be Goal fans for the day as well. Well, I don't think they were really bothered about what was happening on the pitch. It was more just these former Manchester United fans who they wanted to introduce themselves to. So I remember taking a throw in and I just saw it kicking off in the stand, you know, the police dogs hanging off somebody's ankle. Um, it was there's a big a big cordon through the middle of it. So yeah, that was um, a pretty a pretty it was just like being some, you know, a, a football league game with a number of people and the like, police presence and the, the vibe around it and things. Um and yeah, once I even, I think away at Bamber Bridge and you'd, you'd almost laugh looking at the uh, top of my head now, but I once got um, barracked for my hair being like covering my eyes. I was taking a throw in and all out of place. Um, yeah, I think I get, get your hair cut number three was the shout. So I took his advice and <laughs> I've never looked back. But, but with those big, like you said, goal there, like a football league crowd. I mean, forget what's happened in Istanbul. Did, did you enjoy that amount of noise? Did you, did you like it when it was a lot louder like that or did you prefer it to be, you know, just the hundreds, a bit quieter? No, I mean, mind. just, yeah, it never it never bothered me. Um, I think, you know, that's a pressure or nerves playing in front of a crowd. Ne- yeah. Never never bothered me in the slightest. I'd, I'd always have the nerves before a game and it was more just an anticipation, do you know? Um, so whether it was, you know, five people or 500, 1,000 people watching my sort of approach and how I felt towards that was never any different. But I think certainly, yeah, you, you can feel it at times and, you know, just the the noise in the crowd, and even I mean I mentioned this last Saturday. I mean, what, we, I think we had just less than a hundred at Thorn, but um, there was a moment where it was two one. The game was pretty tight, and then and then our midfielder broke through in the last minute, and you can hear sort of the the you know the 50, 60, 70 cheering him through, and then the moment he goes to to strike the ball, there's just that eerie silence that falls upon it, you know, and then the ball hits the back of the net, and and the noise goes again, and you notice those things, and you know your times in that by ten from instead of a hundred, you've got a thousand. Um, and yeah, it's one of the buzzers from playing football and, and being involved in sport, definitely. That's good. I mean, have you seen sort of maybe over the last, oh, with COVID permitted as well, but have you seen kind of Thorne's attendance go up and how good is to see that? Not only you know, you being a local lad from Thorne, but also seen as a manager as well. Yeah, de- I mean, it definitely has. So, and this is this is true. My very first home game when I was involved at Thorn again, probably two and a half years back before we got the club Thorn thing up and running. Um, we, in fact, it might be you know it might have been Phoenix at home again. We we're actually playing, um, and and I'd done my bit sort of before with the other manager at the time, and I'd done my bit before kickoff. Walked out onto the pitch as the players are waiting in the pavilion for the referee and the other team, and I walked into the ground. I'm walking across the pitch to the dugout, and there was nobody in there. No one. It's like five to three no one in the, in, in the crowd, in the ground anywhere. And then by sort of half time, there's maybe 12, 15 people you could see on the other side. Um, so pretty desperate numbers. Um, just, you know, I think people had lost a bit of interest, a bit of hope in it. It had been kind of derelict for so long. Um, and then now, yeah, to be getting, you know, and it's not massive numbers, but, you know, to be getting 70, 80, you know, breaking over 100 a few times, you know, it is, it's good to see that people are engaging with it a little bit again, wanting to come and support the club. And, it, you know, they want to go and spend the time on a weekend watching us play. Um, so, yeah, it's nice. And again, like I mentioned there, you've seen 500 at Rosington. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, the numbers could continue to grow for all the teams? Yeah. Look at teams like Hallam. I remember they've yeah. seen they've had that 2,600 in the last three games. And they tweeted yeah. that they'd been happy with that in a season a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think a lot of that's off the back of COVID. So, you know, there was that time when you could go to watch a non-league game, but you couldn't go to watch your professional clubs. And I think a lot there actually saw, you know, it's probably, they had had maybe a a stereotype in the head of what it might be like non-league football. And yeah, it's not the most beautiful thing on the eye, but actually, do you know, the passion's the same and the excitement of it can be certainly the same. Um, And I think that that prolonged effect has carried on now as we're sort of moving into the period we're in. Yeah, non-league for me, it's, it's everything you get in the football league plus the community feeling, plus the thank you for being there. Yeah. You know, from the club officials. It's, it's, it's lovely. And a chance to meet the players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know yeah. I know a few people say that similar thing. You know, you, you can spend good money following the professional teams and, you know, you never sort of get close to players. Whereas you know, you come to non-league environments and you can actually feel part of the club on your first very first visit. Um, and I know that's one of the attractions that a lot of people, you know, feel and that's why they come. I, I remember someone telling me once, like, um, I, th- I think it might have been uh, our last guest, Bill Burford. He said um, before lockdown, he knew so many people who've not missed a West Brom game in so long. Then lockdown hit, never went again. Yeah. <laughs> come to non-league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. what it's done to people. It certainly has. I think, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the one thing that kind of over the last, you know, two years that kind of happened, certainly when, you know, I've gone to see Thorne and, and, and that. And, and the good thing about that is, it, you know, it's making me want to go back, which I think is, which is even better. And I think even when I first went, you know, for, when I first went there over, you know, just over two years ago, I certainly had that great, you know, kind of vibe that, you know, this, this club is, you know, the community, you know, this, this club, I want, I want this club to grow. And one day, you know, it could be, you know, like I say, you know, get over the hundred, you know, get over hundred fans, and certainly, hopefully, you know, you get fans saying, you know, telling, you know, telling other people we need to go and watch Thorn. So I think the good thing is about maybe I think the positive thing about you know the lockdowns and the COVID is that, like you say, fans are going to watch non-league, probably not teams that may they probably wouldn't have done in maybe two or three years before that. They've actually gone and watched their maybe their local side for maybe the first time, and they probably enjoyed that. I think that's de- that's definitely the case has happened, you know, so many clubs um, and the community thing is important. I know we mentioned that, but certainly it's something that, again, a lot of clubs, they'll say it because it's a nice soundbite. You know, we're a community club. We want to have a positive impact in the community. But that's that's what been one of the, when we sat down at our very first Club Thorn board meeting. Um, and that's one of the things we identified as, well, what would we class as success? And, you know, we've tried to do that. So, you know, it, through last summer, we ran a, a men's health programme for anyone in the community to come and play football just down at the ground on Wednesday evenings. We've been involved a couple of times with um, in, in the school holidays, you know, for young children coming down playing football through a, a funded programme where they get a hot meal as well. And I just think, it, you know, the, the football club, and even at such a low level that we might be at the moment and clubs like ourselves can still have a positive impact in the community. Um, yeah, and, and we try our best to not just say it, but actually go and do it. Absolutely, and I think I think the good thing about that is you see, and I think you see kind of less and less that from the bigger teams. Certainly, with with Donny Rovers, for example, they they don't do as much as what they used to do. Which you know, if they want if they want fans to go and watch them again, and certainly try and get the crowds up, you know, things like that, community you know, certainly going to the local schools and stuff like that. I think that's probably the most important thing. And I think with fun, I think you're doing things in the right way that you're bringing everyone together. And also you, you're trying to bring, you know, a, a fan base as well together. So I think the good thing about that is you, you're doing everything right. And I, and I quite, and I've got massive respect for that. Yeah. Obviously yeah, yeah. 
any any football club, it'll be you know results drawing. So like fans or you know spectators, where they they'll, they'll be if the club are winning, the team winning, everything will be hunky dory and happy. And if not, then it's maybe got swings the opposite way. But I think no matter what, the going strong. Um, so yeah, it's something we we'll, we continue to value and we'll try to keep pushing on with. Definitely, definitely. I mean, to, moving away from sort of Thorn and, and also playing and sort of playing career, but as a football fan, for example, sort of maybe, maybe in the future that um, is there a kind of make any any grounds, for example, that you you'd like to visit, or sort of maybe sort of a bit of a bucket list. Um, where if it is, where is there anywhere in the world that you'd want to go and visit? You know there's, there's probably not that many. I've been to quite a few in this country, you know, the big stadiums as well. And to go to the Euros final this year was it was a pretty cool experience itself, you know. Um, but actually, to I think if there was one, it'd be to go to you know to South America to, to the Maracanã. Um, I just think there's something about Brazilian football, which you know through the decades and the generations, um, as always, had that that glamour, you know, glamorous feel to it, and that glow that that people are attracted to. Um, you know, when, when there's a World Cup on, you OK, you want to watch England, but then the second team you want to see playing is Brazil. When, when's their fixture? Um, and yeah, yeah, if that, that if there was one ground, one stadium, it'd be to go and watch Brazil playing the Maracanã, certainly. That's a great, that's a great the Brazilian choice, league. Yeah. The Brazilian league ought to be so much better than it is, shouldn't it, really, I think. But all the players come to Europe, don't they? Yeah, they do, yeah. They, they get attracted to the money, don't they? Um, yeah. Eventful, the games, if you ever watch them, you know, there's, there's plenty of, um, you know, enough incident to talk about. But yeah, yeah, the league itself, the players don't, I don't think they hang around long enough, do they? They get brought over to here. Oh. Is, I agree. I think American R, I remember it being at Brazil, the World Cup, you know, 2014, or be you know, some of the games were at night. I remember watching England Italy the game at like midnight and having to, having parents next door and, you know, having to cheer quietly when storage gun equalizer. <laughs> but um no, nah, I think yeah, Brazil, I could totally agree with you. there's so so many amazing stadiums around there. You like you you want to come off. Same with going to maybe that, you know, the big was it uh, was it uh, Copa Libertadores, the you know the big kind yeah, of South Copa Libertadores, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Just go and visit someone like a River Plate or a Boca Juniors. I'd, I think that'd be an absolute fantastic trip. Yeah. What a what a time that'd be, and obviously the fan base are a lot, lot crazier than ours. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm sorry referring to. Yeah, I'd, if I was going to watch that game, I think I'd, um, I'd just keep myself well, well back from events and um, be, be, be very much a neutral. I'd be sitting on the fence on that game. Yeah, we've all seen that story. What happened with the uh, River Plate Boca Juniors in that final that year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, that the passion sometimes boils over. But I mean, there's some cracking grounds over there that we saw in the World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you think about when you look back and that, and I was just thinking then you, you think about American I think of Brazilian football. There's only kind of one player you think of, and, and that's Pele. Yeah, and, that, and what he had, you know, the impact he had on Brazilian football is is amazing. Like we were at Garfa for the other week, and we saw, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Socrates being you know, playing yeah, one yeah. game. Yeah, that yeah. Looking back on that, it's just you know, it's crazy to think. Yeah, <laughs> he turned up in West Yorkshire playing for them. It's absolutely astonishing. But getting back to non-league football and you know, sort of looking, looking at it as a whole, how would you kind of maybe sum, you know, the, sum up the experience for for non-league football as a whole from kind of from, from start to finish, from from a, you know, a playing perspective, a managerial perspective, but also from a fan perspective as well. Yeah. That's... 
I mean, yeah, I've mentioned this kind of theme a couple of times. If you're looking for glamour, you know, it's just not in non-league football. You know, look elsewhere. It's a totally different ball game. Um, but if, you know, I mean, just, you know that the people involved, they genuinely care. They care whether, whether that's the players on the pitch, managed on the touchline, you know, lady in the tea room. They care about that club, the people there. They care about you, like you said, you know, they're, they're delighted, they're, they're grateful for you coming. Um, and non-league football, yeah, they're sort of, at times it might be, you know, gritty and, and dour and, you know, the pitches are conditions, it can pretty heavy going. Um, but I just think that, and there are a lot of lows along the way, you know, it's certainly when you're playing, managing, a lot of lows attached to being involved in football, but the highs you get from it, you probably can't match um, in, in many other areas of your life. Um, the feeling it gives you, you know, when you've had that great last minute winner um, on a Saturday afternoon. So, yeah, I think that aspect of it, you could probably look far and wide and not find the same the same feeling, the same buzz you couldn't replicate anywhere else. Um, and there's something about non-league football that I think once you are hooked on it, it's it's a difficult hook to get to get yourself off of. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the same way since getting back into ground up in obviously from I used to follow Shirebrook Town quite a lot. I used to look forward to the games. And obviously with the lockdown, getting back into non-leagues reinvigorated my buzz for it, definitely. Yeah, once you've got it, it's hard to shake off, believe me. It is, and some people might, you know, they, they might not understand it. And um but I just think certainly as we mentioned with the numbers turning up at other places, the attendances, it's now, it's becoming more and more popular. And even people like yourselves doing this kind of thing, it just raises the profile of it, promotes, you know, that, not the sport, because of course it's football, but actually just that part of the sport, it's not all about the Premier League and the Sky Sports and those kind of things, you know, it gives it gives these clubs, you know, an opportunity to show the good work that they're doing. Um, and again, then the people see that and, and then they can actually, you know, they get a better idea of what non-league football is about, what the teams and, and the individuals involved are trying to do. And I think that's another thing that's pulling more and more people in. Absolutely. And certainly I think and when I first started, kind of, when I first started the channel, you know, going on four years now, and certainly in, in, in other perspectives is that when I, go, when I visit, you know, when I visit clubs, certainly you know, step five, step six and step seven, you know, one thing I want to do and the kind of the main goal for me is to try and raise that profile of that club, you know, give it some exposure, you know, and show, show the, you know, show the, show the world what, to, you know, what this club is about and try and hopefully bring, you know, bring some more fans around. So I agree with you there. Non-league is certainly, I think you kind of summed it up perfectly there. You know, it's gritty, but, you know, the good thing is, is that, you know, people are coming back. You know, I certainly for me, you know, I've I've always been Rovers through and through. Um, but certainly, I started to get more when when I was at university, and I think even coming back now and and actually visiting Rosington and Althorpe and you and and Harworth and and all these clubs, you know, around here, it, I think it's a great sense of there's so many great community clubs. I just wish people would take notice a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, but like we said, you know, I think they are. Um, and, you know, just even these little, th you know, like things like this yourselves are doing when you when you go to the games. And I mean, I'm sure the number of views you get from games, you can see that people are they're watching, they're seeing. And even if that leads to an extra two people coming to that particular ground next Saturday, you know, to a club that might be an extra four or six or eight pounds. Um, and then people who might want to come again for instead of one game, they come for the next two, three, four. And, you know, that's how clubs, that's ultimately how clubs do grow. Um, and it's so important, you know. So, um, yeah, you guys are doing a good job on that front and, and long may it continue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Thank you. We'll go, yeah, go on, Jake. You, you had a question. No, thank you for that, mate. That's very, very kind. <laughs> that was all. Yeah. But yeah, go on. I mean, you talk about your manager. So we'll talk about managing now as well. You've been you've been a thorn now a few years now. And um, certainly, how would you kind of describe your kind of philosophy of how you want to manage the club and manage players sort of by managing them? I think it probably, look, it helps. I guess I played pretty recently, you know, it wasn't long ago I was playing, so I've been on the other end of it and you kind of know or you have an opinion of what, you know, how managers that you you want to play for, you'll run through the proverbial brick wall for and other managers who you maybe don't quite click with and, and, and don't feel the same way about and don't produce the same sort of level of performance that, you, you know, from yourself that you're capable of. Um, for me personally, look, without going into too much detail, because I'll probably talk all day, I think it's very much about the players. It's not about the manager. Um, some may be falling, you know, into into the trap of that, but it's not about the manager. What, what we're trying to do is just get those 11 lads, 16 lads out there on a Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, um, you know, in the best condition possible, the best frame of mind possible, prepared as well with as much information as we can give them as possible so they can go for the 90, 95 minutes and, and hopefully play, you know, close to or at their best. Um, that's what we try and do, you know, every single week. And of course, you know, it's even more so at this level, they're not just players that, you know, they're not contracted players. This is their work. It's certainly not, you know, they've got lives to try and juggle as well. So when I talk about we set high standards and expectations at the club and we do, but there's also a balance to that where, you know, you're dealing with lads who might be working 12 hour shifts on that day. Um, you know, they might have young young children at home as well and families and, you know, you, you're kind of juggling all that with it as well. Um, so the main thing is you just want, you know, you, you try to do everything you can for the players and, and try and get those lads. You try to develop them to bring them on and to get them out there crossing that white line in, in the best possible, you know, shape mentally, physically that you can to then go and play. Absolutely. It's for you as well is is building kind of bonds and kind of good relationships with players and also, you know, people hire up, you know, very important for you as well. I just think, just look, just be right with people, do you know, in any walk of life, really, just just be right with people, be fair with people, show people respect. Doesn't matter, again, you know, what role they play at the club, what what job or anything that they may do in their, you know, walk of life. Um, I think just just those things, be fair, be right and, and with people and show them the respect. And, you know, most of the time you get that in return. Occasionally you might feel hard done by that you might not. But listen, um, you know, we, we try to just be just be really sound with our players and, and they're good lads. And, you know, what they've given so far this season. I mean, look, it sounds crazy even tonight. So one of our centre forwards couldn't make training last night. He works till, you know, 7, 38 o'clock on a Wednesday. Totally understand that. That's the night we train. So he's come round after work tonight and we've done like 45 minutes just in my back garden. Um you know, if you've if you've got lads who are willing to give you that, then what more can you ask? And um, you know, he texted me afterwards saying thanks for that. And I said, look, you know, I'm willing to give any time I I have to players and you know lads who want to just keep trying to get better. Um, I'll, I'll give them as much time as possible. Um, so yeah, I, I think you just try and create that sort of feel around the place. They want to be the best they can be. Can we help them to do that? Well, we've got players committed as that. Then absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. the right attitude, 100%. Well, look, you, you give so much time and effort to it and, and the lads know this, that you could go and do anything you want. You could go and do something else on a Saturday afternoon, on a Wednesday, Tuesday night, go and do something else. Anything you want, you don't have to be choosing to do this. And I think if you're going to, just give it your all. You know, give it everything. Don't take shortcuts. Don't don't turn up underprepared or sort of half-baked. And, um, you know, 
just if you're going to do it, fully fully commit to it as much as you know you possibly can around your work and family lifestyle and things, and, and we'll try and be flexible and juggle things, move things around so that they can. And yeah, cannot fault the lads that they, they've been excellent in that in their attitude and approach to all of that this season. Fair play. Want to go and have an unbeaten run like that as well? It's certainly definitely showing. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that was, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was a good start. Um, but I, I keep saying to him, you know, it's just, it's performances. So you can play a game and, you know, you might win a game 3-4-0, but you don't think you play particularly well. And then you might, you know, squeeze a game 1-0, but you think you've been exceptional and the, and the lads have done everything that was asked and planned for. Um, so, yeah, as, as much as obviously results, people say the be-all and end-all, but we just try to keep, we want to see performances from them. And, and played the way that we know they're capable of and look like the team that we want them to be, um, that we want this Thorn team to look like. And um, doesn't you know it doesn't always work like that. So that's when we have the discussions that we do and get back at it in training. But generally, you know, can't fault them. They're just really focused, really focused on uh, trying to win the next game. And that's that's all. We, and it's a cliche, really boring cliche. Sorry, fellas, but it is honestly just win the next game. That's all we talk about. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think. This season, I think you, I mean, like I say, you could argue that for four or five teams in this league this season that they've, they've been good this season. But has there been maybe any, maybe particular performances that kind of stood out and uh, this season so far for you? Um, I mean, I just like the first day of this season, we had Newark at home and obviously that Newark at the moment at the top of the league. Um, and I think we had an idea coming into the season. I'd watched them in pre season and, and I knew that they'd been strong the last couple of years anyway. I think if, Probably COVID hadn't arrived on the scene when it did. They might have been in the northeast counties already. Um, so we knew they were going to be really strong. And, and we played them on a Friday night. Decent crowd, decent turnout down there. And we just managed to squeeze, you know, to sneak a 1-0 win. And I remember the following day, a couple of people, I said, it wasn't great that performance, was it? I, I thought it might be a bit better than that last night. But I sort of came away thinking, well, look, you know, you're going to see how well Newark do this year and you're going to quickly realise how good Newark are. So to get that 1-0 win at home on the first game of the season, you know, that <laughs> I'm really, really pleased. Um, and I think, you know, as, as it's panned out, you know, it was it was a big night, a big win. Um, but it just sort of showed that, yeah, we're in the mix, we're competitive. So a few years ago, we, we'd, have, we'd have played. In fact, yeah, it was the very last game before COVID kiboshed everything when it first came around. We played Newark at home and we lost 1-0. Doesn't sound terrible, but when I'm talking about performances... You could just stand there that day and my old man came to watch and I always have a chat to him the next day and he just said, like, you were watching a team, one team who were far better than the other. And, you know, Newark two, three years ago, far better than the sort of position we had Thorn in. Um, and now at least we can hold our own and compete with them. Um, and that's, you know, I keep talking about the progress that we're making and, and, you know, that's a sort of a decent benchmark, really, of pre-COVID and now post-COVID where we're at. Um, a team before who struggled to live with the strongest sides, and now we can we can mix it with them. It's good that, and I think it's good to see. And you can say you know you bring you know you bring in the right players, you have the right attitude, and you know they're going to improve the squad as well. And I think like I say I've not seen Newark yet, but uh, I need to at some point. But I know there's been a lot. You know, there's been some good teams, and everyone's kind of got their own strengths. And that has been has there been any kind of you know sort of other teams that you've gone you know the they've been probably the toughest we've played against so far this season? Do, do you know, 
it, it, I sort of touched on it earlier, but like some of the most difficult games for us have, have been like the ones where we've played, and I, I would never use this phrase because I, and I don't look at the league table whatsoever, but you know, teams who would be further down the league table and have given us such difficult games and have deserved to probably beat us or, or get a point from us. And some of them have, you know, got a point from us as well and right, rightly so. So I think those games have been really difficult. The league table, you know, the, the top end of it, I guess, People who've been around the league a few years, you know, you'd have probably looked at those teams who are up there at the moment and they're the ones who the last two or three seasons have been, barring ourselves, obviously. Um, so, yeah, look, at our, you, you know, there wouldn't be one game where you say that was the most difficult because we've just had so many where you, you're midway through the game, you just know, like, you're thinking, yeah, this is, this is tough. This is tough and, and we've got to be bang at this for the rest of the game to try and get something out of it. Definitely. Yeah. Um... Absolutely. I mean, one final thing as well um, that we'll, we'll touch on about of finally being a manager as well of Thorne and you're going really well this season. What's kind of been the best thing about being a manager and uh, what what kind of thing have you achieved so far that you, or what kind of future achievement you'd like to have with, with the club? Yeah, look, I mean, very, very early on. This is probably, mentioning COVID, this has been my first full season at, at it. Um, so, you know, achieve very little so far. But I think when you've got, you know, players like tonight who they, they want to come after work, train on their own in, you know, in your back garden, you're hopefully creating a sort of feeling of vibe around the place that lads are on board with it and they, they've bought into what, you know, what you want to try and do. Um, and then you just hope that that's going to sort of reap the, the rewards over time. Um and we, look, we're pretty lucky that, you know, I guess any football manager, whether you're a club with 60,000 attendants every week or a club with 20 people coming, you've got the opportunity to try and give those people, you know, a, a bit of a good feeling on a Saturday afternoon. They go on a Saturday night. And I know we've got a group of fellas who come now and, and really old school. They meet up at the gate at half past two. They walk in together, sit in the same seats in the stand every week. And then they leave, um, you know, together again at sort of five o'clock. And I just love that feeling, and it's really traditional, isn't it? Old school football, Saturday afternoons, you know. Um, and again, if we can, you know, put on a good performance, get three points, then those fellas walk home with a, you know, a decent conversation and a good feeling for the night. So, yeah, we're pretty lucky in that sense. Um, we'll keep trying. We'll start this Saturday, eh? see if we can uh, see if we can do something again. Most definitely, most definitely, and hopefully when Saturday get... comes three pm. That's Come it. On. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anything more, Jay? You want to ask? Um, I just want to ask you about Winterton Rangers. Now, me and Joe went there back in pre-season. Lovely ground. Uh, when did you play for them? Um, uh, yeah, twelve years ago ish. Now, two thousand and yeah, nine sort of time, two thousand and ten. Um, and, and a really good club. Do you know, in fact, we we just joined them after they. I think they'd won the North East Counties Premier, but chosen they hadn't applied for promotion. Um, and we went there and I, I mean, listen, the pitch was absolutely immaculate. Um, the fellas who looked after it, they were on it every single day. Um, quite funny in pre-season. So um, we used to get some really good friendlies. Hull City and Scunthorpe had come down and they'd send a full first team. So Hull were in the Premier League and, you know, you had lads like Kevin Kilban, um, George Boateng, Giovanni up front and stuff just signed from Man City. Did so you win that? No, no, Big Dean wasn't there. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably have, I'd probably have a black eye to show for it if he did. Um, but, but obviously, so we were at home at Winterton, and um, 
you always had to give them the home dressing room. Absolutely fine. We're in the away dressing room. But then um, they they were allowed to warm up on the pitch, but we weren't. So, so, so Hull City and Scunthorpe were warming up on the pitch and we just had to walk around the back of the stand onto the little strip of grass around there because we weren't allowed on it. But the pitch was like, immaculate. And, you know, just to turn up there and play your football on that every week, you could go to professional football grounds and not have the same quality surface. So, yeah, that was a good few years. Really enjoyed it there. Absolutely, yeah, and and um, Retford United. Uh, when 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 did you play for them? Yeah, so that was just following on from that. So um, manager from Winterton moved across to Retford, um, yeah. and obviously you know I, I was captain underneath Rich, and in fact Rich is involved with us now. He's the director of football at Thorn, um, quality fella, um, knows his football inside out, and just just a good guy to sort of play for and play under and be alongside, work alongside. Um, so yeah. we went to Retford. And again, they just won the league the year before too, North East County's Prem. So we had this big, like, who do we, we'd, we'd go to teams who just won the league. And I mean, how do you top that? So, <laughs> so we always were competitive. You know, we were like top six, top four in the North East County's Prem. Some good years as well when Farsley Celtic had dropped down into it. So, you know, they'd have been in the conference a couple of years before, sort of changed the name, dropped down a few leagues. And um, yeah, they were, they were really, really good. We, had, we played them in the League Cup final. So... Yeah, some good, couple of good years at Retford, and I think the big one that I've always loved at Retford is the fan base. They've got a great supporters yeah. club. The people down there, even now, when we played them earlier in the season, they're so welcoming. You see the same old faces, um, and yeah, I mean, we would love to replicate a sort of supporter base like that at Thorns. You know, people who they're down yeah. there with the paintbrushes. You know, in the summer, making sure everything's pristine again. They're raising funds out the clubs. You know, buying new lawn mowers, whatever it might be, and you know, those kind of people really are the life club of your non you know, the, the lifeblood of your non-league, um, you know, semi-professional clubs and things. So, yeah, yeah, that's what sticks in my mind from there. Some some great people. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a shame that we they've fallen from where they used to be because they were at one point step three, weren't they, for two seasons, I believe. You know, playing the yeah. likes of FC United of Manchester in that, in that sort of standard to go yeah. down. Was it, was, it, was it three in a row? It went down or? Yeah, I think there's, there was a little bit more to it as well than that. But yeah, it was a pretty steep fall. I mean, when we were there, it was step five, you know, in North East Counties Prem. We finished fourth yeah. one year, just below a couple of really good sides. I think Scarborough won the league one year as well. And, you know, yeah. they're obviously flying yeah. now. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we, we, when we were there, it was competitive at the top end of it. And then, yeah, they've slid away since, but they're, they're certainly on the way back. Um and it's, you know, this is what I'm saying about just well-run, well-established clubs. You know, you go down there and I know step seven in some parts of the country has got a reputation for being like one man and his dog on a park pitch. And you go to these places and like it's the facilities, that the setup's really good. And there's, you know, a lot of clubs like that. No. So, so I mean, you weren't there when the downfall happened? No, it wasn't my fault. No, no, no. No, no, no. I mean, no, I mean, no, you didn't there. Jay, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I don't know what the reason for the downfall was. Was it was it you know the usual chairman money situation? Yeah, you look, you you hear plenty of rumours, don't you, on the non-league grapevines? I, I played against them when they were so when I was at Gould, we used to play against them quite a lot, and they actually won the Evo Stick Division One twice in a row. And again, I don't know if they didn't apply or something to go up or didn't pass the ground grading, but I'm sure they won it twice in a row. And that's when they had a really good team, people like Neil Harvey up front, uh, Mickey Godber up front as well. Um, and then, and then they moved up, you know, the following season. So I played against them sort of on the way up and then up playing for them, I guess, on the way down. Um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully I didn't contribute to that, to that too significantly. 
Well, it's strange though. You look at you look at Redford now. You've got you know you've got two clubs. You've got one that's in Northern Counties. You've got one that's in your league as well. And it's interesting to see how you know Redford FC have kind of moved up and Redford United have sort of you know gone into into step seven. Is it? You'd probably think you know maybe one day you know, we might get a Redford Derby again. Um, do you think they'll be kind of very highly competitive and a little bit hostile as well? Um, I mean, it will certainly be well well attended you know when they played before in the central midlands like massive turnout and this is way before the crazy numbers that we're seeing now of people over a thousand coming to games and, and they did that night so yeah if, if they you know when, whenever they both play against each other next i'm sure it'll be the same again big turnout big crowds down there you know a lot of players involved at you know some of the teams and then that attracts plenty as well so yeah yeah look good and this you know going back to ground opposites those kind of games as well that neutrals want to go and watch isn't it you know those kind of things have a little bit more meaning to them as well yeah definitely yeah. do you try and ground hop when you can when you when when phone are not playing or when i'm know? out watching a lot it's it's not ground up in collecting pin badges as such it's more just sort of like you know <laughs> i'm out either watching teams in our league um or just might you know might be one or two players i want to have a look at for you know further down the line so yeah i'd say most weeks i'm out at a game um We've now said this year we've got our under twenty one side as well up and running who play midweek. So I, I try to get to the vast majority of their games, um, home or away. Look at the young lads we've got coming through. So yeah, I'm, I'm certainly out. We train on a Wednesday and then probably Tuesday. I'm definitely out at another game somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have you certainly enjoyed like yeah when especially when you've gone and watched like some of the teams around the league? Have you enjoyed like going to see like their grounds and and sort of seeing what see what they're so what their facilities are like as well. Yeah, well, the work, the, the the Rosington workshop game, you know, a couple of weeks ago, just just a good evening, you know, good standard of football, two good teams, um, a team from a lower level showing that again they can hold their own and compete with teams from levels above. Good buzzing, good noise around the spectators. You know, goals are going in. You can hear that people who are genuinely excited supporting teams. You know, yeah, it's, they're, they're good places to be. It's better than sitting at home and um, you know watching football on the television. That's for sure. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, you know, anything more, Jake? Um, no, I'm, 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 happy for you. I'm happy with that. Thanks. Yeah. Shall I wrap it up? Yeah. That's uh, final question. Final question. I'll hand it over to you then for your final question. If you could sum up football in three words, what would it be? Um... It could be three separate words or it could be a three word phrase, whichever. Right, well, football just in general. Yes. So addictive, you know, and, and just it's on your all the time on your brain, just totally addictive. More so when you're managing players, it's easy to switch off, isn't it? So addictive, um, passionate, gives you feelings that nothing else does. Um, just exciting. Just exciting, you know, that's three points. It's only three points, but my goodness, I can't think of anything else that makes me feel as happy as that. <laughs> addictive is one that we've not actually had before passionate and exciting we've had a few times I think passionate is probably our most uh, used but uh, no addictive <laughs> not one that people tend to use but you definitely agree with you <laughs> yeah 100% so yes I think I think that's it isn't it yeah yeah that, that's been brilliant mate thank you very much for your time and uh, all the best for the season with Thorn um It'd be fitting, definitely, to see you in the Northern Counties. And I can say all the best, and uh, I think it's probably best that we stay away. 
And <laughs> if, if if one team needs if one team loses, that means that you go up. We'll go to that game, won't we, Joe? Yeah. So that Newark Town must win or Thorn go up. Well, we're after Newark, aren't we? Yes, we are. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, just just watch from afar, fellas, um, from now on. But yeah, no, listen, thank you. It's been a, you know good talking to you. Thanks for your time. You know, keep up the good work you're doing as well to promote all the non-league clubs in the area. And uh, I'm sure I'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah, this has been the Fan Fab Podcast. I've been Joe Skelton, and I've been Topless. We'll see you in the next one. Boom. Boom. <laughs>